What's up, everybody? I just realized I went through this whole recording, and although I commented kind of on it, I didn't say this. All of my numbers, everything I got from here as far as contract uh, uh, information is from overthecap.com. Thanks to them. Uh, thanks to Jason Fitzgerald, who who runs it, and everybody who works uh, there and, and does stuff for them. Uh, appreciate them so much. Um, I do comment on them partway through, but I just wanted to make it clear how much I used them. Um, I did my own calculations, obviously, but uh, all initial uh, info and data comes from them. So just wanted to say that. Thank you. Uh, and let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? This is Max Dean is Football, and I am Max Dean. So, some of you may know me from when I did Pan Am Football. Uh, we changed the name of the channel over. Uh, some of you may just know me as the most tired dad on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, so we're kind of doing a little bit of a rebrand here. Uh, when I was doing stuff with the guys for Pan Am Football, there were a few of us involved. We were scattered around the states and South America. The name made more sense, and it's been a while since I've done anything, so I'm kind of trying to rebrand, kick things off, get back on the horse, uh, and do some more football content for for you all. So, um, first and foremost, you can find me on uh, uh, Twitter at the Max Dean um, for the channel. It's uh, it's now Max Dean is football, uh, and for this podcast, you'll probably be able to find it on the Pan Am Football uh, podcast feed for now. And I'm going to try and start up a new feed, I think, versus just changing the name. Um, we'll see just for some bookkeeping stuff. But first of all, uh, what I want to do today is take a look at positional value pretty deeply. Um, we're about to hit the draft, so that's what the main topic for today is going to be. So once I kind of get through the intro real quick, we're going to dive all into that. Um, if you're listening on a podcast stream, I'm going to talk through everything as clearly as I can. We're going to talk about some numbers and stuff, um, but you'll also be able to find this on YouTube with a bunch of graphics that I've made so that it might be a little bit easier to follow along for you. I'll leave it up to you. Um, if you like the content, if you've been here before, I appreciate you checking it out now that we're back up. And if you are new, uh, throw a like. Uh, hit subscribe because we're going to be doing lots of deep dives like this um, going forward. I would love to be able to hit two shows a week maybe, um, depending on the length. Some might be longer, some might be a little shorter. And obviously the dream would be to do daily stuff, but I'm, we're, not, we're not there right now. Um, and we shall see. Um, of course, you can um, follow and review on Apple Podcasts if uh if you like what you hear as well, because that always really does help those of us who are just trying to you know, get out there. Um, let's see, where do I want to kick things off? Look, positional value is dictated by a number of different things, and it's fluid. I don't think there's a single answer for it. Um, I'm going to be looking at a number of different metrics that I've kind of pulled together here. There are some out there that are really good. Uh, I, I think, you know, WAR or uh, wins above replacement from PFF, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, what I'm going to come from is, or where I'm coming from is, is totally different. I think they're all just kind of pieces of a larger puzzle that we want to put together. So 
Um, what I'm going to look at today is first, I'm going to go through what the league tells us about how valuable these positions are. And the way they do that is money. So the first thing I want to look at is the average annual salary for the top five players at each position and stack those up against each other. Because that's going to tell us who the league is willing to pay the most and who they're willing to pay the least. I'm also going to look at uh, where players are drafted. So uh, the number of players at each position drafted in the first round and the top 40, uh, top 10, things like that. So we know how urgently teams are drafting them and where they're available. I'm going to be looking at where the highest paid players were drafted. So player p players who are selected in, excuse me, pairs, <laughs> players who are paid in the top five to top 10 at their position, where were they found? And I want to see if we can find any trends there. So uh, were they mostly top 10 picks? Were they mostly first round players? Were they players who were found later in the draft? And also, uh, were they, were they uh, available via trade or in free agency as well? Because all of these things are going to kind of tell us where is the most efficient place to shop for these players that we want to uh, build our team with. Okay, so those are the main things that I'll be looking at here. Um, a couple of other things. This is exclusively the 2021 market. And I also have data for 2022 up to this point. So all of the free agents, all of the extensions that have been signed, I have that data as well. But today I want to just do 2021 um, kind of uh, take uh, some some findings from that and then I'm also going to do a show where I look at the 2022 data and then get findings and sort of see um, are there things that match up what's changed what hasn't changed and I also at some point I would love to talk about the wide receiver market that's definitely an interesting thing that's been changing a bit lately too but um, we could probably look at that after the draft uh, as well because that's going to provide some insight too I think um, I'll try and do maybe one mock draft as well before before we hit the big day because you know the draft is always such an interesting part of the NFL offseason you know so uh, if you have any comments about what I have to say if you want anything clarified uh, you know if you want to request any kind of specific information for the future you know where to do that either in the comments or you can find me on Twitter like I said. So let's jump right into it. Uh, let's look at uh, some of these graphics that I've made for you. Okay, so here we have the top five players paid at each position stacked up against each other. Uh, we I have the market cap, so the highest paid player at each position and the top five average for each position. Um, so if you are listening, I've got that all listed here um, on on the graphics. Now, I'm not, not going to read off every single number here, um, but I will tell you what they are in order. So based on the 2021 market, this is how the NFL has valued these positions. Starting at quarterback, then we go to edge rusher, then left tackle, then interior defensive line then wide receiver, then corner, then right tackle, 
So I've got left tackle and right tackle separated because there is a differentiation in the market there. Then linebacker, safety, guard, tight end, running back, and then center comes in last place. So, and that's going off of the top five average. So for the market cap, the most expensive player at each position, it matches up almost 100%, although um, right tackle, while it has a slightly higher average, is slightly lower in the market cap compared to linebacker. So let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So right tackle is seventh and linebacker is uh, eighth by average, but you swap those to make linebacker seventh if you go specifically by market cap. Uh, and then also running back is second to last in terms of average, but it would come in just barely over guard and over tight end uh, if you go exclusively by the highest paid player. Um, I prefer to use the average to rank them because it's just it's a better data point. It just has more data in it versus just a singular player. So I also have some graphs just to kind of give you a visual too. Um, but it's just all the same numbers. Now, at the very, very top, we have quarterback at 40.4 million on average. So just over 40 for the top five. And um, then there's a substantial drop-off down to the edge rusher, which is 24.901 million. And then from there, it's a pretty even steady drop to go all the way down to 11.953 million. So, you know, to put that in perspective, there is a larger gap between the quarterbacks and the second place position, which is edge, than there is between edge and the last place position, which is 13th. So, obviously, um, there is a, a variance in or a difference in terms of the way that these teams value these positions. But if you want to look at it kind of like a, a sliding scale from edge rusher all the way down to center, and then quarterback is a complete outlier. So when we're talking about uh, these positions and some of these other um, uh, some, some of these other metrics, just keep in mind that I probably won't dwell on quarterback a lot just because it's so obviously the most important position in the sport and... I'm not even sure that it's really needs to be talked about that much because we all know what it is. We all know how hard it is to find and how much of a difference they make to a team. So, you know, I'll mention it here and there, but really we're talking about all of those other positions for the most part, because that's where I think we're lacking a little bit of clarity. Now here I have the same exact metrics, but for number six through 10 in terms of the highest paid at each position. So I had one through five, their market cap and their average. Now I have six through 10 in their market cap and their average. So um, the reason I wanted to do this is because this tells us a little bit about um, the depth of uh, players at those positions and how many players are deemed to be elite also will give us a possible indicator of any uh, significant market jump over the last few years. Quarterback, obviously still first. 
edge second, left tackle third. Um, now we have wide receiver jump up over interior defensive line, um, then corner, then linebacker, safety, guard, right tackle. So right tackle has dropped down past linebacker, safety, and guard. So uh, the largest positional drop that we're going to see in that second tier is right tackle for sure. Then we've got running back, center, and tight end. And tight end being the second largest drop-off in terms of um, where the second tier of those players stacks up um, versus that top five. So the top quarterback, uh, top six, excuse me, the sixth through tenth quarterbacks, uh, they come in at 32.4 million on average. And then again, substantial drop all the way down to edge at 18.477 million, so just over 18, almost 18 and a half. Uh, then again, sliding scale all the way down to tight end, which is only basically 9.5 million. So um, we see a, a pretty similar trend, although some of those positions uh, have shuffled around a little bit. Moving on um, here, just for those of you who are on YouTube, I have a little uh, line graph here that presents visually um, uh, some of the, it just gives you a more clear visual uh, uh, representation of the difference between the top five and then six through 10 on average. Um, and it becomes pretty clear that the starkest differences are at right tackle and tight end and also running back. Although it's not as obvious just because the, um, the, uh, it was one of the least valued positions to begin with. So what I have here now is the percentage discrepancy between the highest paid uh, player at the position and the 10th paid player at the position. And the reason I, I wanted to look at this also is just because, again, it's telling us what teams are willing to pay the best of the best versus, um, you know, a pretty good player at the position. Now, running back has the largest percentage discrepancy at 61.39%. So the... Uh, I guess the way that I would phrase it is that the highest paid running back who would be Christian McCaffrey, um, there is a 61.39% difference between what he's paid and then what the 10th played player at his position is that would be Naheem Hines. Now, I will just point out quickly that I did not include any rookies, uh, any players that are on the rookie contract or players who are on the franchise tag because those are not accurate representations of the marketplace for veteran players. So um, although here and there, there would be a couple of players throughout all of this that would either be in there with a the franchise tag um, or on their rookie contract, I just didn't feel like they were good data for what I was looking at. Uh, right tackle is the second largest discrepancy with 53.13% and tight end is the third highest at 46.67%. Then there was a range from 33 to 39% essentially for most of the others. And then the bottom three, 
which means the least discrepancy, which means these players are paid the most closely together from 1 all the way down to 10, is corner at 30%, um, interior defensive line at 27.11%, and wide receiver at 26.14%. So real quick, I want to look at those and see if I can kind of figure out why uh, there's such a stark difference between running back, tight end, and right tackle, and such a small difference between corner, uh, basically defensive tackle, and wide receiver. So, running backs, first of all, when we look at who makes up the top 10, we've got Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, and Derrick Henry at 1-5, through five. and then 6-10 through 10 would be Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Melvin Gordon, and Naheem Hines. One of the interesting things that you look at there is that basically the top eight, there's not that much of a discrepancy. In fact, it's pretty close. And then there's a sharp drop off after that. When we look at the running back position, I think what you see is that you can find uh, production all over the place. Like if you have a quality offensive line, you can probably get reasonable production out of a vast number of running backs. And I think that's where a lot of the running backs don't matter conversation comes from, uh, or the devaluation of the running back. And then additionally, it's more of a passing league than a running league anyway. Um, but what we see here is that there are a few athletes who are able to bring enough production purely um, from their own skill that they are deemed worthy of that upper-tier contract, but there's only a few of them. Once you get past Joe Mixon, you get down to Melvin Gordon, who signed uh, an $8 million contract per year uh, with the Broncos. Again, this is all from 2021. So I know he's obviously not with them anymore. And then Naheem Hines, who's really more of a receiving back uh, with the Colts at $6.2 million. Above that, you've got a, a bunch of high-impact players, but there's just not that many of those guys who are good enough athletes and who are consistent enough to, to warrant that money. Looking at right tackle, uh, there are... Uh, well, let's see, we got Ryan Ramchick at 1, uh, Brian O'Neill at 2, Lane Johnson 3, Braden Smith 4, and Taylor Moten at 5. And then 6 or 10, we've got Jack Conklin, Brian Bulaga, Lyle Collins, George Fant, and Trent Brown. So, I think part of this is that we saw a substantial jump in the right tackle market in 2021. So I want to see what we what happens throughout the rest of 2022 um, to see if if that is a trend that continues or if it's just a, a split in ideology because uh, traditionally the right tackle has mattered mattered a lot less than the left tackle. The left tackle protects the blind side. They deal with the best pass rusher for the most part, and the right tackle. Um, you're often on the strong side, which means a lot of times there's tight end help. Um, 
you also have the quarterback with a bit better view of that side, hence not the blind side. Um, and the, the lesser pass rusher would be on that side as well. And so really you're looking for adequate pass, pass protection and uh, good, good run uh, blocking ability. And I think you see that in some of these guys. Um, but if you look back to pre-2021, Lane Johnson was really in a tier of his own up there. And uh, I think that was because he, they always viewed him as a potential left tackle in Philadelphia. And uh, they, they signed him to that because they had a pretty affordable contract with Jason Peters on the other side. I think Lane Johnson was really intended to be the heir apparent to that left side, but Jason Peters just kept playing, kept playing, kept playing. It was never that expensive, especially later in his career, so they were able to pay a little bit to the right side and have two very good tackles. But in 2021, uh, we had a number of players who got substantial raises over what the second highest paid player at the right side was before that. Back in 2020, Jack Conklin signed $14 million per year with the Browns, and so we had a difference of $4 million between number one and number two. Then, um, just last year, Ryan Ramchick signed for 19.2. Brian O'Neill got an extension for 18.5. Braden Smith got an extension for 17.5. And Taylor Moten signed a contract off of the franchise tag for 17. So we just rounded out the top five um, in, a, in a large jump of the market there all last year. Now... You know, I'd say that it was a split in ide- ideology, but because there probably are still some teams who value the right side a bit less. But I mean, when you're looking at, at guys like Taylor Moten, um, getting that, like, is it just that, is it just that in Carolina felt like they had to match the market just to keep him because they were didn't have a great offensive line to begin with. I, I don't know. Braden Smith, he's good. He's definitely a good right tackle, but I don't think he's, you know, uh, an incredible right tackle. I think he's very good. But to get that close to what Lane Johnson had had before, that's that's a substantial jump in, in ability can, you know, at least when you consider Lane Johnson being healthy. So I think, you know, and that and, and Brian O'Neill, I think that's saying that there is a distinct jump in the market and the teams are saying, look, the right side is it's less valuable than the left, but it's not that much less valuable than the left where, you know, we're having a almost a 50% gap in terms of left and right side. Um... And I think one of the reasons that we saw that percentage discrepancy is, is again, is just that those players who are at 6 through 10, or particularly uh, 7 through 10, Brian Bulaga, Lyle Collins, George Fent, Trent Brown, uh, they just, uh, they uh, just signed contracts before this jump happened. And I think some of these guys, you know, even like George Fant, like that... He signed as kind of a, a projection. You know, he hadn't played. He had played in, in Seattle, but he hadn't played that that much. And he had switched sides back and forth. And I don't think the Jets even knew if he was going to play left or right for sure when they signed him. So, 
you know, it's hard to necessarily say Brian Bulaga is an older guy. You know, he's kind of on the backside of his career when he signed with the Chargers last year. So it's hard to say exactly. It seems that there are at least a number of teams who are saying that the market has jumped and we value the right side more highly. But I just want to see what happens with a little more time. And then tight end. Uh, when you look at the first five or the first four, uh, I guess, really, you see very good players. George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, and Mark Andrews. Those are all what I would say, for the most part, elite tight end weapons. Then when you look at the rest, starting at five, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Austin Hooper, Zach Ertz, Logan Thomas, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, You know, aside from Rob Gronkowski, who's really kind of an outlier just because of his age, and obviously he was extremely, extremely good for so long, um, I think that what you see there is the reason for the drop-off is that's just, there's not, there's a, there's a clear drop-off in terms of impact from those top four guys and the rest of them. You know, I think, I'm not saying they're not good players, but I think, I mean, just objectively, there is a large, large difference between what Mark Andrews brings to a team in terms of, you know, a pass-catching weapon and what Hunter Henry brings. Both good, one clearly much, much better. Travis Kelsey and Jonu Smith, right? Because Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith are the same average per year, right? So Travis Kelsey to to Jonu Smith, so from two to six, that's a massive difference in production. So I think we've seen a few different things here. Um, running back... A, a limited pool of talent, at least, you know, that bring that production on their own. Tackle, I think it's more about a shift in the market. And tight end, again, it's that limited talent pool of, of productive, highly, highly productive players. When we go back to our list again, we have edge, guard, linebacker, safety, ta- uh, left tackle, center, and quarterback all in that middle range in terms of, of discrepancy from top to bottom. But looking at the small discrepancy, why are these players paid so closely together from top to bottom? Um, we've got corner, interior defensive line, and wide receiver. So I kind of want to see if I can figure out why they are paid so closely together. Starting at wide receiver, we have Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, Kenny Galladay, Tyler Lockett, Mike Evans, and Robert Woods. Okay, so um, again, and here's another thing: if you do look at cap numbers fairly closely and contracts fairly closely, you know you you may see some discrepancy here with what I have in average per year versus what you'll find on. Um, um, over the cap or spot track, um, I I definitely do like to use over the cap more. Uh, occasionally, I f- need to use spot track just because they they might have some little information 
and little information um, about one player here or there that I can't quite find on over the cap, but generally speaking, I prefer over the cap. If you have any questions about a specific player, I'll explain my process. But a lot of players have these artificially inflated uh, average per year by adding one year at the end of the contract with an absurdly high salary that everyone knows, everyone involved knows the player is not going to get. But it's in there to boost the average per year for whatever reason, whether it's the agent pushing it so that they can tweet out what a big average they've got their player or if player can say i'm the highest paid at the position even if they're not 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 in not in practice just you know technicality wise there's a bunch of reasons and then there's a few other situations here and there as well if you have a question about um any particular one that doesn't match up let me know and i'll answer um as far as deandre hopkins in particular i did a video all about his contract last year and you can find that um, in the YouTube channel. And maybe I'll even put a link to that below. Because I feel like people will be like, that's the one that people will be like, that's that doesn't match up. That's not right. But I'll exp I explain everything in the video. So, looking at receiver, um, Julio Jones was a clear market cap for a while. He signed in 2019 an extension for $22 million per year. And at that time, and even a little bit after, he was just so clearly the best receiver in the game that it was really hard to justify anybody beating him out in terms of annual average per year. Um, and so we had a number of guys come in kind of just underneath that, whether it be Keenan Allen or Amari Cooper. And even though they signed a year later they didn't come close to beating him out just because occasionally you'll have players like that at different positions. Um, Aaron Donald is a guy like that. Patrick Mahomes was a guy like that for a little while where it's like, even if you, if you're the next guy to sign or you sign an entire year later, you're, you cannot justify having a higher average per year than him just because he's so obviously the best in the game. Agent can't really go, to their team and be like, well, my guy is, is, you know, as good, if not better. So we need to be bumped up. You just can't do it. So it only lasts usually a couple of years, but they do exist for a while. And wide receiver was that way for a bit. Um, but looking underneath it, aside from Kenny Galladay, who was probably one of the worst, if not the worst contract signed in free agency or the entire year last year, by the Giants, every single one of these guys is like an easy thousand yard producer year after year after year. So yeah, is there a difference between Julio Jones and Robert Woods, what they do for for your team? Um, in terms of threat to the other team, in terms of, you know, the ability to totally take over a game, yeah, there is a difference. But are you going to be able to get a thousand yards a season consistently from Julio Jones? Yes, when healthy. Are you going to be able to get a thousand yards consistently from Keenan Allen? Yes. Amari Cooper? Yes. Michael Thomas? Yes. Again, health aside, every single one of these players on the list outside of Galladay have a substantial number of thousand yard receiving seasons. So I think the, the thing with wide receivers, yes, there are there's a difference in talent. There's a difference in 
and that that kind of invisible impact, so to speak, when you're looking at the stat sheet. And and obviously some have you know huge numbers. You can get thousand yard seasons from wide receivers um, more consistently and 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 more easily easy to find than than what you get from like you know say a position like. Uh, I don't know, even pass rusher, right? Like pass rusher, there's a pretty substantial difference between what you're getting statistically from the top pass rusher in the league or the top couple, top few versus the sixth or 10th. So I think that's why wide receiver is right up at the top here. It's just the ability to get production out of receivers consistently. Um, and it probably actually depends more on your quarterback play than the wide receiver themselves versus how much, how productive they can be. Interior defensive line. Um, this one, I think, is, I mean, we'll go through the positions quick. We have Aaron Donald at the top with 22.5, then Leonard Williams, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, Jonathan Allen, Vita Vea, Kenny Clark, Fletcher Cox, uh, Grady Jarrett, Casey Hayward. Or Cam Hayward, excuse me. Cam Hayward there at 10. Uh, so the thing with, with interior defensive line, I think there is a clear um, tear drop off when you look at guys who can rush the passer versus guys who can't. Like if you can rush the passer, you are uh, paid at the top of the uh, defensive tackle market. If you can't rush the passer, then you're just a run stopper and you're pretty much capping out somewhere around 10 million bucks. So that I can just throw out there, you know, right off, right off breaks. Why are these players also close together? Um, well, part of it is that one of the things that happens with a lot of these contracts is that uh, players don't necessarily play out their entire contract. So you'll have a guy who set the market, let's just say, for example, at $17 million per year at a different position. And then the next guy will beat him out, and the next guy will beat him out, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, four years later, um, he's been beaten out a couple of times, but... Um, but then at some point, that guy who initially set that $17 million per year uh, mark, he's either retired, released, uh, you know, got a reduction in contract because he's just not as effective as he once was. Um, so even if the market didn't jump substantially, uh, there just aren't as many elite players who, who have that length of time there. So, you know... Three, four, five years later, though that player might not necessarily be there, you know. But uh, with interior defensive line, the number of players who are in their thirties who are still in this top ten and playing at a very high level: Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Grady Jarrett, Cam Hayward. Um, the longevity of effectiveness at that defensive tackle position. Um, I think that's something that we can look at here. Um, and the other thing is that it's hard to find these guys who rush the passer from the interior. And so teams just aren't willing to let them go. 
Um, I know that uh, of this list, the only one who there was any movement with uh, this past year, and again, I'll talk about it when we get to the 2022 version, was Fletcher Cox. And he had a mild salary reduction. Basically, he was released and then brought back at $14 million per year versus the $17.1 million per year that he was on. And I don't necessarily think that... I mean, maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't, but I, there, I think there's. it may have been that they would not have released him if they didn't already have the agreement for him to, to re-sign at $14 million per year, necessarily. Um, and, you know, it's possible that Cox even could have gotten slightly more somewhere else, but he'd been in, in Philly for his whole career. He may have just known he wanted to come back. And I don't know the details on that, but what I can say is that teams are just not willing to release these players... Um, or move on from them because it's a very valuable thing to have pass rush from that interior. I mean, yes, elite edge rushers are definitely the cream of the crop, but you know you can probably find a, an effective pass rusher on the edge uh, more easily. You know, you can find a guy like, find a guy like Trey Hendrickson or Carl Lawson or whoever in free agency that's not elite but at least can do something. I think you either. You're, you're either able to, to rush from the interior or you're not. And I don't think there's really a middle ground there. And so those guys that can, uh, they're kept, they're retained. And I think that's the reason we find those players a little bit more closely linked together, like, uh, uh, blocked together or, you know. And then corner, the last one. Um... We have Jalen Ramsey, Marlon Humphrey, Marshawn Lattimore, Tredavious White, Darius Slay, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, uh, James Bradbury, Trey Waynes, and Marcus Peters to round out the top 10 uh, most highly paid at the position. So what I look at and what I see here is I know that there was a bit of a jump in the corner market uh, in 2021. Uh, I guess... Jalen Ramsey got paid in 2021, Marlon Humphrey, Lattermore, Tredavious White. Um, I think all those guys got paid in 2021. Um, James Bradbury was a free agent. And um, so you would think that there would be a larger jump because that that there was a an increase in the market, which had been kind of stagnant for a while. But they're still paid pretty close together from the top to the bottom. And I think... You know, with corner, it's a tough position, and this will be a conversation we'll have to have at some point in the future, because there's a lot that goes into it, but even even the very best corner is essentially not a shutdown guy. I mean, I think Jalen Ramsey has had that at times, um, and, you know, from game to game, you might have a shutdown game. But over the course of a season, you, you just don't see guys who, who really, truly um, snuff out the production of wide receivers from the additional team week after week after week after week after week. And so what you really, what you ideally want out of a corner, sure, press man coverage, shut you down, you know, 30 yards or less a game. Like that, that's the ideal. But we really haven't seen anybody like that since... Revis, and that was such a short time frame too. 
I just don't think that's something that you can expect from from a player at this position. And so what you really need to look for is a guy who's effective in coverage, um, who limits big plays, who, um, you know, sometimes has a really great game, sometimes just has a solid game, but also takes the ball away, creates turnovers. And I just, I think that, you know, you look at every single one of those guys and they're all essentially able to do that. You know, some are better in man coverage, some are, are, are closer to that shutdown, but I think it's just, you know, with the way that, that modern offense is where you're able to move guys around so much on the offensive side of the ball, you're able to scheme guys open. Um, there's just, there, there isn't that ability to shut guys down to the same extent uh, at the corner position. So what you end up seeing is um, a bunch of guys who, you know, it's easy to say that Jalen Ramsey is is an all-pro, right? He's the best at, at the position. And he probably is, but all the other guys here, from Marlon Humphrey all the way down to Marcus Peters, how much of a difference is there in what they bring to a team versus, you know, from one to the other? Or, I mean, Trey Waynes, that's a bad, contra- bad contract, too. You know, um, that was another poor contract, so obviously there are outliers here and there, but, you know, James Bradbury to Darius Slay. One's better, but I mean, how much impact, how much of a difference in impact do you see? And as far as the trade thing with Bradbury, look, the Giants are just in a shit situation. I'm sorry, they really are. Um, They have very little cap space. They don't have enough cap space to sign their rookies. They have two high picks, which means they have relatively expensive rookies. They have um, expensive veterans on the roster, and... Bradbury, the only reason they want to trade Bradbury versus Tory Jackson or some of the other guys that would create space is because nobody wants those other guys. No one is going to give out money or give up draft picks and take on a contract of Tory Jackson. No one's going to give out draft picks and take on the contract of Kenny Galladay. So they have really no choice but to shop the better one of those expensive veterans. Um... Because that's the only one where teams will actually be willing to part with a draft pick and actually take on the contract and create that cap space. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if um, that happens after the draft at some point because then it will be a uh, a post-June 1 trade, which means they'll get maximum cap space in return. and even though you draft a player, you don't have to have cap space to sign him until you actually sign him. So, um, I, I mean, anyway, that's I, I'll digress from that. But what I'm saying is, yeah, some are better than others. Like, I think Marlon Humphrey is better than Byron Jones. I think Tredavious White is better than Terry Slay. Um, but I also think, you know, Xavier Howard is, is you know, better than Marshawn Lattimore, probably. Um but the idea is that they're all at least relatively close enough in production in, in kind of the same way that those wide receivers were the same in production that there's 
there's not really a reason to pay some guys so much more than other guys at this point, just the way that corner is in this modern NFL. So, you know, keep that in mind as we as we go forward and talk about some of the other stuff that that we're going to hit on today. All right, let's move on and talk about where these guys were available. So, how hard is it to find one of these players in free agency or via trade? Because ultimately, I think something important to look at when you're drafting is to say, well, the end goal is to get very good players at every single position, right? Even the the less valuable positions, you still want a very good player there, right? So if we're going into the draft and we have picks in the first, second, and third round, but, um, and we have needs all over the place, well, maybe we should not be spending high picks on a player that you can get in free agency that's in that top 10 level consistently. consistently. So uh, what we have here is um, the, all right, so basically the way I broke it down is um, were these players available in free agency? Were they available via trade or are they only extended from their original team? So of the top 10 uh, at the position, 90% of those uh, running backs are extended and that's interesting you look at that and you say well running back is devalued well why uh, are so few of those top 10 running backs uh, available in free agency then how come it was so hard to find a free agent running back um, at the top of the market if they're so devalued and I think you know what you see is that because there's not that many of those guys who are, uh, who are able to create that production on their own outside of how good or bad their offensive line might be. Um, teams do tend to keep them more often than not. And, you know, I know even particularly guys like Jason Fitzgerald will continuously point to the idea that um, that second contract has just worked out way uh, it has not worked out way more often than it has worked out. And I think, you know, there's probably some truth to that. Um, I mean, and if nothing else, it's just because that position takes such punishment that by the time you get to the second or even third year of the extension, they don't have the same effectiveness, whether it's just physical beating they've taken or, or outright injuries. Um, but we are seeing that teams are still doing it despite that that you know trend being there so you know the packers still went and paid uh aaron jones the bengals still went and paid joe mixon last year the titans still went and paid derrick henry the um the who else did uh, the panthers still went and paid christian mccaffrey so they're still doing it even if it, you know, by many accounts is, is unwise. Um, left tackle, 80% were extended. Um, interior defensive line, 80% were extended. Um, those are to be expected. High value positions. Um, 
linebacker also 80% were extended. So that's something that we're going to look at uh, in, in just a minute here. But you would think that the way that people portray linebackers, how they're one of the least important positions on defense, um, that that wouldn't be the case, but it is. They're harder to get outside of, of uh, outright extension. And then when you look at uh, that position in the trade market as well, 80% plus another one was traded for, so 90%, meaning only one of those 10 players was available via free agency. Quarterback, 70%, um, and that's obviously, you know, you're not going to find quarterback in free agency unless a team just totally mismanages it like the Washington football team did with Kirk Cousins, so... Um, the other two are traded. You occasionally do see large quarterback trades. Um, Matthew Stafford being one, uh, again, from 2021. Um, edge, 60%. Um, so, let me see what I, do I have here for my graphics. Okay. That's for... All right. I'm a little rusty and I'm a little tired, I'm not going to lie. So, um, instead of just reading every single one of these off to you, the, the ones that are clear outliers to me um, are center, only 40% were extended, none were traded for, so 60% of those uh, available uh, that are in this top 10 were available in free agency. So more than half were just able to be signed in free agency. Guard, 40% available in free agency. Right tackle, 40% in free agency. So let's look at that. Um, essentially, what we're seeing is left tackle, 80% were extended. Um, but for center, guard, and right tackle, um, 60, 40, 40%, 60, 40, and 40% were available in free agency. So why, why the stark difference? Um, I think really what you see here looking at those guys is that the athleticism required to be an effective player at those positions, it, it's not its not as hard to find. Um, interior offensive line, it requires power, strength, technique, and, and, and knowledge, you know, not making mistakes. And I think right tackle was probably viewed similarly to that up to a point. So, like, you look at this, Jack Conklin, Brian Bulaga, um, George Fant and Trent Brown were all available as free agents. And now even Lyle Collins was as well. Although again, like I said, this the way that I'm looking at at least this snapshot in time is from 2021. So 40% of, of these guys were all available in free agency. So um you know, if you if if you're looking at that um that skill set size, uh, power, uh, hand technique, and um, the intelligence to not make, you know, just awful pass protection mistakes. It just doesn't require the same level of athleticism that the left tackle does, which just means it's just not as hard to find, which by nature makes it a little bit less valuable. So when you're looking at um, who to draft, 
if you have a substantial number of needs, I think you need to go out of your way to make sure that you do not have um, a hole at one of these positions once you get through free agency. Because it's just, if you, if you don't make that investment during free agency, then you're making it in the draft, which is just a place where you could be investing in a position that you can't find in free agency. So if you're trying to maximize the best player at all your positions, center, guard, and right tackle is probably where you need to be spending money in free agency. There's also a number of, uh, of uh, or a substantial amount of data, and they I know Robert Mays has talked about this on the Athletic Football Show, that interior offensive linemen are one of the few positions uh, in in free agency that usually live up to the contract that they get you know they they have long enough careers that once you sign a player who's on his second or third contract probably still going to be able to play long enough at a high enough level that the contract is doesn't become a, a total you know weight hanging around your neck as, a, as an organization so let's keep that in mind as we go forward um, then let's see Let's jump back to the most available players. Okay, so safety corner and tight end are also more available in free agency. You also look at corner being 30% available in trade. That means that less than half of those top 10 players were extended. So why is that? Uh, I think, again, it's, it's a similar thing where when you're looking at your roster... Um, the players that you want to go out of your way to retain are the players that that you just you simply cannot find that same level of of production uh, as you continue to, to draft and rebuild your team. So if you look at this and you're like, well. The number two corner, Marlon Humphrey, how much different is he than Marcus Peters in terms of production game to game? Um, and you ask yourself, well, probably not not that 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 much. I mean, I think Marlon Humphrey's a very good player, but you know, it just doesn't seem like that position. Uh, has the return on investment necessarily when you start paying these guys a substantial amount of money because when he goes up against who let's say who all right so like when Marlon Humphrey goes up against I mean I know he's the best of the best right now but Jamar Chase is is Marlon Humphrey shutting down Jamar Chase no is Marcus Peters shutting down Jamar Chase no how much of a difference is Jamar Chase going to how much how how much more is Marlon Humphrey going to limit Jamar Chase than Marcus Peters or or Cooper Cup? I I mean I just don't know I I I don't think it's it's that much of a difference and I think if you can't say that he's really completely shutting down, really going to take over the the game against that that top wide receiver, you know I, I think when it comes time to uh, 
to, to buckle down and make decisions about who you're retaining on your roster and who you're going to let go to free agency or who you're going to trade away to try and save a little bit of money, save a little money and get a draft pick back, corner comes up as one of those positions. So, you know, financially speaking, when you look at it, it's closer to those to the, to the that quote unquote uh, premier position or or premier value position, but in terms of how available those guys are versus the other premier positions, it's it just we don't see teams coveting them as dearly. Um, safety again, you know. <laughs> Outside of Jamal Adams, who 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 the Jets got a a, a ransom for in trade, um, we do have a number of these guys being extended. You know, we've got uh, Harrison Smith, Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, Eddie Jackson, Kevin Byard, um, but a bunch of these guys were available in free agency, and the Jets obviously were not willing to give in to the to the demands of Jamal Adams. And I think they will probably would ended up trading him even if it was for one first round pick or, or, or whatever, maybe even a little less a year down the line, uh, just because they didn't value that position to the point that Jamal Adams would have been demanding. Uh, and, and you got Tyron Matthew, uh, Landon Collins, Devin McCourty, um, and John Johnson. And I know McCourty's only played with the Patriots, but they've let him get the free agency and re-signed him. And so, you know, um, just saying that although it's a unique situation, they allowed him to get to free agency. So teams do want to extend um, these players who are very good, but they're also clearly willing to let them become available when it comes time to, you know, when they start to get tight against the cap. And then looking at tight end again... Um, Look, we're not seeing George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, or Mark Andrews uh, hit hit the market, right? Like they're those teams are locking those players down. But most of these guys were available: Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Austin Hooper, Logan Thomas. I mean, these guys were all available on the open market, and, and just because New England overpaid Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith doesn't you know, doesn't necessarily mean that those players were worth that investment. Um, You know, there's a lot of different formulas and and ideologies when it comes to team building, but I I think, you know, objectively, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith are probably not worth $12.5 million apiece per year. Um, So, you know, if you're, again... If you're looking at trying to get the best players at every position on your team and you have a limited number of draft picks and you have cap space available, counterintuitively to to not spending on these secondary positions, like these non-premier positions like tight end, guard, center, safety, those are exactly the positions you should be spending on in free agency. You know, um, I don't think you should break the bank, overpay, etc., etc. But what this is saying is, is these players who are are 
among the better to, to best at their position, they're becoming available, which means that's who you should be targeting in free agency if you want to get the best. Because if you spend a high pick on a tight end, you spend a high pick on a safety, you're not getting those other positions in free agency. So now, instead of possibly having both, you might have only one, if that makes any sense. So conversely, players who are, are at positions who are the least available, left tackle, interior defensive line, uh, edge, uh, I mean, look, getting a, a shutdown player at left tackle um, brings a lot of value. Getting a, a pass rusher at the interior defensive line brings a ton of value. Bringing a dominant uh, edge rusher into your organization brings a lot of value. And so, you know, you look at this list, David Bakhtiari, Laramie Tunzel, Trent Williams, Ronnie Stanley, Colton Miller, Garrett Balls, Taylor Luan, Jordan Mailata, Donovan Smith, uh, Taylor Decker. I mean, there is a substantial jump in, in terms of how good they are or drop, depending on which way you look at it, from Taylor Decker to David Bakhtiari. Yeah. But uh, a player who can handle a top-end pass rusher at least to a, a, a pretty good degree, even that's very hard to find, and it's very, very valuable. So teams just don't want to let those go. Um Interior defensive line, same thing. Um, elite pass rusher, same thing. And in although since uh, this, since we did this, a couple of more of the top guys have become available. I, I think that part of that is just because some of these guys are older, and we've seen some teams kind of make an all-in push to get to that Super Bowl. You know, um, that's another kind of mentality or or ideology that that's kind of emerging a little bit uh, teams have been hesitant to make those kinds of moves and i think we're seeing it a little bit more after the success of the rams but that's a totally different thing that we'll talk about later but i think just you wouldn't see that as much because those guys would have signed lesser contracts guys like i'm getting ahead of myself but guys like uh von miller or uh, uh, Chandler Jones, some of those guys, I don't think they would have been in the top 10 in terms of annual average per year. So we would, we would have seen that that maintain the the unavailability of the top guys maintain. Teams overpaid that a little bit to get those guys in, I think, and, and have that extra pass rusher. But, you know, we're looking at TJ Watt, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack, Demarcus Lawrence. I mean... Aside from Khalil Mack, who went for a very substantial package of picks, um, can you imagine any of those guys being available, or or guys who are coming up to be to sign soon, like a Nick Bosa, or you know any of these elite guys? I, I just I don't think anyone's letting those guys go. I mean, Fra Von Miller was with the Broncos forever. Um, Eric Armstead was extended. Cam Jordan was extended, and again, Trey Flowers is, falls into that poor contract uh, category as well. Um, you know, because you do occasionally get those overpays in free agency. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's more than clear that these three positions, which are generally, you know, considered to be those uh, premier positions, you can't find them. 
unless you uh, unless you draft them and extend them, or you trade a substantial number of picks to get them. And there's always outlier situations like Trent Williams, but again, like if your plan is to just wait around until Washington mishandles a player, an elite player, and then get them for either in free agency or for nothing via trade. That can't, that can't really be a, a, a team-building model for you. Take advantage of it when you can, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, but Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, Jonathan Allen, Vita Bay, Kenny Clark, these guys, their teams are just not letting them go. They bring too much value. All right, let's see. Uh, where else I wanted to look? Okay, so the, the couple that... Uh, were a little bit surprising. I kind of commented on them a little bit already, but uh, running back and linebacker, although generally deemed uh, non-premier positions, they were unavailable in free agency to a large extent. And I think, again, the thing you see with that is there are players who really are big-time difference makers, but there are few of them. So there are two ways to look at that. You can say either because there are so few of them, um, that's something I really want to try and get because it makes a significant difference to my team. So I want to make that higher investment to try and get one of them. Or you can say um, it'd be great to get that but I'd rather just get a guy who fits my system, or I'd rather just, not rather have, but I'd rather aim for a guy who just fits my system, because there's so few of them, it's obviously extremely difficult to project if a guy actually would become that. So, if you're looking in the draft and you're saying to myself, well, you know, I, I can spend my high second round pick on, a, I don't know, a, an interior defensive lineman, you know, who is, ha, has a little bit more of a, a, a higher probability of becoming that player that I need him to be, or I want to spend it on a guard, or I mean, uh, or uh, I want to spend it on a tackle, I want to spend it on a pass rusher. Do I want to spend that pick on one of these guys who might become these this rare high-impact linebacker? Or do I want to just try and take the the premier player at that high position where it's the only place I can get him and then turn around and look at, you know, a linebacker who can probably fit my system, you know, and probably be a decent player, although perhaps not the, the cream of the crop, the best of the best. Because again, when you're looking at linebacker, you've got Darius Leonard, Fred, Wa Fred Warner, Bobby Wagner, CJ Mosley, Zach Cunningham. Miles Jack, Deion Jones, and I think you've already gotten to the point where they there's you can see that only a couple of those top guys are really on that level of super high impact player. So, you know, are you going to draft a linebacker high because he could become Zach Cunningham? And there's just so few guys, you know, like if it's not. Bobby Wagner, Fred Warner, or Darius Leonard, probably not worth it. And what are the chances that's what you're getting? I just, I, I, I can see why teams are retaining these players, but 
I just don't think that that a draft investment there versus the potential for an edge rusher and maybe getting a solid linebacker it doesn't outweigh that that plan to me. All right. Let's take a quick look at the percentage of these players drafted in the top 10. Um, all right. This is important because this is, this is telling us, uh, we've kind of figured out how we value these players in terms of, you know, what they bring to our team. We've, uh, kind of figured out how expensive they are in free agency, how hard they are to find in free agency, um, how hard they are or how expensive they are to extend and so on and so forth. And now we're going to find out uh, how hard it is to find these guys or where these guys might be available in the draft. So percentage of the top quarterbacks that were drafted in the top 10, 50% is pretty high. Um, edge, 40%, pretty high. Left tackle, interior defensive line, 20%. Wide receiver, 30%. Um, corner, 10%. Right tackle, 20%. Um, Linebacker, 0%. Tight end, 0%. Center, 0%. And then you got safety guard, uh, each at 10%. And running back at 20%. Okay, so... um, A substantial number of quarterbacks, edge rushers, and wide receivers were top 10 picks. And you also have tackle, interior defensive line, and at, at, at 20%. So... Um, that's telling us that if you want one of those guys, that's probably, probably, uh, the place you're going to want to look, you know, uh, if you have that option. Now let's bump it up to the first round. Uh, quarterback is now up to 70%, edge is up to 70%, left tackle is up to 70%, interior defensive line is up to 80%. Uh, wide receiver, 40%. So that did not grow very much. Uh, corner is up to 70 Right tackle is only up to, to 40%. Linebacker, 20%. Safety, 30%. Guard, 30%. Tight end, still 0%. Uh, running back, 30%. And center, 20%. So uh, as, as we look at this, it becomes clear that if you want, to want an elite quarterback, edge, left tackle, interior defensive line, or corner, um, probably you're looking at the first round as a reasonable place to get it. We're going to go up to the top 40 now. Um, and I, this is important to me because I wanted to throw the first round in there, but I also don't... I think that 32 is such a, an arbitrary cutoff point. So I wanted to look at... Um, you know, trends where you're not just looking at just 32 exactly, but an approximate top 40. Um, quarterback is still 70%, but edge has jumped up to 80. Left tackle has jumped up to 80. Interior defensive lines up to 90. Wide receiver still has not changed from 40%. Corners jumped up to 90. Right tackle has jumped up to 50. Uh, linebackers at 40. Safeties at 50. Guards at 50. Tight end is at 20 running back still at 40 and center still at 20 so uh, i think what that shows you is that you know there is probably reasonable value for 
some of those positions, um, edge rusher, interior defensive line, corner, um, at that late first round to just after first round value. Like, you know, um, if you're if you're picking at the end of the third round or you have a high pick in the second round, um, you probably really should not make the cutoff point the first round for for those premier positions. Uh, you really should be looking at premier positions all the way through at least pick 40, maybe even pick 45. When you go to the end of the second round, um, quarterback stays at 70, edge is up to 90. Left tackles is 80. Interior defensive line is still 90. Wide receiver still only jumped up to 60%. And corner has jumped up to 100%. Um, right tackle is 70. Linebacker is 80. Safety still only 50. Guard is 70. Tight end is 40%. Running back is 70%. And center is only 30%. So we're all the way through the second round. And um, there are some positions who, when, when you look at these percentages uh, there's still a lot of of top players who were drafted outside of this range so you look at safety um, half of all those top 10 safeties were taken outside of the second round um, tight end 60 percent of those players were taken outside of the second round center 70 percent of those players were taken outside of the second round and then interestingly wide receiver 40 percent of those players were taken outside of the second round then uh, this is the last one I do. I'll, I'll, I will do. I promise. Third round, percent of players taken by the third round. Quarterbacks up to eighty. Edge is ninety. Left tackles eighty. Interior defensive line is ninety. Wide receiver is now eighty. Um, corner is hundred. Right tackle is seventy. Linebackers a hundred. Safety is ninety. Guards ninety. Tight end is eighty. Running back is eighty. And center is forty percent. So, you know, there's definitely some truth to to when you, when people say that the first three rounds are really the the foundation of your team. Because if you want a player who's you know a viable candidate for that top ten type of money, it's the top three rounds for pretty much every position, except for center, which just it screams to me like when. 60% of the top paid centers were taken outside of the third round and 60% of the centers were available in free agency. How, how can you really justify drafting one in the top two rounds? You know, you might not have the top, one of the top three centers in the NFL, but why, like, why would, why is that so important if you can have one of the top six you can have one of the top 10 and all you have to do is find one in free agency or draft one in the third fourth fifth round i just as so it's just like one of those things where it's like i always find myself excited about the prospect of drafting tyler linderbaum because he's so good and just because the position's devalued you're going to get him at a value like i love dane brugler I think he he does so much good stuff. I follow him very closely. But like he said, yeah, there uh, on um, a podcast on the, on the athletic football show the other day, prospect the pros, the show they do within that. Um, 
you know, there's a good chance that a team's going to be able to draft Tyler Linderbaum at 35 or 38, or I think he was talking about the Jets at the time, or or maybe Seattle at 40 or something. And he's like, damn, that's such incredible value. And then you stop and you think about it. I mean, that that's the traditional mentality about it. But when you look at this, it's like drafting a center in the first, even the late first or the high second, it's it's the antithesis of value. Because where you could get that, that not that, that particular player, but that position, you can get it with such a, such a significantly less investment of assets than a top 40 pick. So, you know, when you look at this and you see how easy that position is to find, it just, I don't want to say it's easy to find per se, but like you can find it with such a, a lesser investment that it's like, it's the antithesis of value. Uh, you know, and some of these others, like you look at linebacker, um, corner, interior defensive line, edge, anything that's 90% or 100% gone, you, you know, unless you're taking a flyer in the you know fifth round on a guy that has high athletic traits like you're you're really you know you cannot expect to have a guy who's going to be a top type of player at those positions if you if you aren't looking at a reasonably high draft pick so while we say that linebacker is devalued or or um you know or right tackle or whatever has a lesser uh, value. It's not a premier position. Um, if you want one of the top ones, this is just where you have to go. So uh, let's take a look at the number of players drafted on average for these um, these positions in the top 10, right? So I took every quarterback drafted in the first round uh, or in the top 10 since 2011 and averaged them out per year. So top 10, 2.27 quarterbacks go in the top 10 per year. Uh, 1.64 edges go. Uh, 1.36 offensive tackles go. And 1.27 wide receivers go. So that's the top four uh, quarterback edge offensive tackle and wide receiver in terms of what teams are generally going for in the top 10. Um, corner is next at 1.09 per year. Then we have uh, interior defensive line, linebacker, and running back all at 0.55 per year, which means that essentially every other year someone's taking the running back in the top 10 over the past 10 years. Uh, and linebacker as well. Every other year, there's at least one, or there is about approximately one. And I think, you know, we've just seen time tell that that's just not the way to, to manage your assets. Um, after that, we've got guard, tight end, guard and tight end at 0.27 per year each. Uh, then we've got safety at 0.18 per year. What else? Oh, and uh, 
uh, center at zero per year. So no center has been taken in the top 10. I don't think any center has ever been taken in the top 10. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, teams are clearly trying to get those positions, but I think it's, you know, when you see where some of these players are drafted, um, the, the number of them drafted, and then you look at how, what percentage of the top ones drafted and what, excuse me, what percentage of the most highly paid, um, are, are drafted in that top 10, it just shows you that really that you, if you want one of those guys, that's really where you need to be shopping for them. Um, and then looking at the top 40 quarterback, uh, it's only 3.73. So it's not a huge jump. Um, so the majority of those quarterbacks are taken in the top 10 edge jumps up 6.18 per year, offensive tackle five per year. Um, wide receiver 5.09 per year, corner 5 per year. Um, so they lead the pack um, in terms of uh, uh, players drafted in the top four, the number of players drafted in the top 40 per year. Interior defensive line is next, but it's a little bit lower. It's only 3.91. Um, then you are looking at uh, linebacker at 2.28, uh, 2.82. Safety at 2.55, running back at 2.09, uh, guard 1.64, tight end 1.18, and center at uh, 0.19, so less than one center per year drafted in the top 10. And, uh, you know, what that says is, is comparatively, like to me, the, the things that jump out is like um, there are often six edge defenders who go in the top 10, like on average, are in the top 40, excuse me. So you want to try and be within that six if you need an edge rusher. Like you, you gotta, you really gotta make that move. Um, tackle, same thing, five drafted in, in the top 40 per year on average. Um, I don't think you need to be in that, that, uh, that group that's, drafting 2.2 linebackers in the top 40 per year. I don't think you need to be in that 2.09 that's drafting uh, a running back in the top 40 per year, um, you know, or guard or tight end. Because you're just, it's like you're so sure that the player that you like is going to be one of those game changers that you're completely giving up the possibility of getting an edge rusher and a decent tight end, right? You're saying like, I'm going to only have maybe a really good tight end, maybe a decent tight end, maybe a bust tight end and zero chance of getting an edge rusher, essentially is what you're really saying. So, you know, looking at, at those numbers, um, you're, you're not gaming the system by getting the best tight end. You're gaming yourself really out of getting the out of the potential to get an elite player at one of the other high impact positions. Just because everyone in the NFL has agreed that we need to prioritize edge in the first round. Like if you don't, if you don't kind of just go with that unspoken agreement, then all you're doing is just essentially removing the probability of, of you getting one of those good players. 
So my uh, takeaway for all of this is really a little, a bit of a, a chart, I guess, that dictates what you should be looking for and, and where. So I've got it split into two uh, different charts. One lists the, the position and where you should be looking for it. The other one has where and kind of ticks off what positions should be looked at there. And so basically what I mean by that is you cannot use this kind of system without scouting. You still need scouting. I'm not, I'm not some guy who's sitting here trying to tell you that analytics are the answer to everything. Scouting doesn't matter. The grading players doesn't matter. But the traditional grading of players where you can have a first round grade on a center probably needs to be altered to take this into account more so than it has. I know some teams are starting to do some of this kind of stuff, but um, it, it's just clear that the fact that there is still a still you know some of these positions going in the first round every year i mean two running backs went in the first round last year um guard went in the first round last year and i i think that you can make an argument here and there but i, I you know it just doesn't it really doesn't make sense to to prioritize that so i think when you look at this what I would say is that if you are picking in the top 10 and you don't have a quarterback, you really should just take what whoever you believe is a viable starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, I know that people will, will say uh, it's bad value, you know, like this year in particular, uh, Kenny Pickett, or Malik Willis. They, they, you could take him in the first round, but you can't take him in the top ten. Well, I think that is a super outdated way of looking at this. And it's like, if you like one of those guys, if you like their attitude, if you like their traits enough to take him in the first round, then you need to like them enough to take him in the top ten. It's really... and it's It's the rarity of the quarterback that that dictates that. And if, if you really don't and you need a quarterback, then you probably should be one of those teams that's making one of those massive trades for one, I guess. Um, if you have a quarterback and you need an edge, you should be looking at edge. Um, and probably you should take a second edge if you don't have, if you have one, uh, but you don't have two, you should probably just take a second one. Um, I guess left tackle. If you have an edge, then you can look at a left tackle. And if you have, if you're all set with uh, quarterback, left tackle, and edge, then wide receiver. Now, wide receiver is an interesting one, and I'll, I'll circle back to that in a minute. If you're in picks 11 through 32, if you have needs at um, edge, left tackle, interior defensive line, or corner, you should be looking at any one of those. Um, in particular, uh, I would say corner, probably fourth out of those. And then you have the exact same positions for 32 to 40, but you probably start looking for right tackle here as well. Because again, it has a marginally less 
it has marginally less value than left tackle, but um, you still need players with special athleticism and ability uh, to to play that position at a high level. So I think you should be looking at the top of the second round, ideally for a right tackle. Now, there's a little wiggle room for this kind of stuff. Obviously, if you're picking, you know, in the 20s and you need a right tackle, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying you have to wait until officially pick 32. These There's more about ranges than, than ex- anything exact to that kind of level. But what I'm trying to do is, is say, like, if you're if you're in the top 40, you should not, or I mean, if you're outside of the top, excuse me, if you are in the top 40, there's really no reason that you should be looking at linebacker, safety, guard, tight end, running back, center. There is no reason for you to do that. There's no reason for you to do it. There just isn't when you're looking at what this data says. Now, I will look again at the 2022 data and see if anything has significantly changed such that um, I would alter this, and I'm totally willing to do that, because this is a snapshot in time, but what this is saying leads to, what this data says to me leads to this conclusion. If you're in that top 40, don't go for any of those other positions. Um, and wide receiver, interestingly, is it looks to me like if you go, f- uh, if you're in a top 10, and you can get a top 10 uh, pick type of receiver, such that they have such dominant traits that they are pretty much instant impact players um, and will be for a long time just based on their dominant traits, then yeah, that's a a reasonable investment. Once you get out of that, there's really no reason to take one uh, anywhere in the first round until you get out of the top 40. Because if you don't have those kind of dominant traits, those like multiple dominant traits, then just wait, because inevitably there will be quite a few guys available in the second, third round who have who have a one single dominant trait. And no, they probably won't take over games like the top ten guys, but they will be able to produce a thousand yard receive uh, thousand yard receiving seasons regularly if you have a solid quarterback and you put them in in you use them schematically in a way that accentuates what that one dominant trait is, one or two dominant traits. So uh, if you if you get that guy who changes the game for you in the top 10, do it. If he wasn't drafted in the top 10, he probably doesn't have those kind of dominant traits, like, like those kind of game-breaking traits. So just wait. Don't, even though everyone is saying that there's going to be like, six, five, six, seven guys taken from pick 12, 13, all the way through the end of first round at wide receiver this year. To me, all that says to me is there are going to be a boatload of teams who are taking players that they probably could get close production from later and are missing out on Whoever doesn't take an edge, whoever doesn't take that interior defensive lineman, whoever doesn't take a tackle, you know, it, it, you're, it's opportunity cost lost to me. And I, w- I really want to see what happens next week when we have the draft. But, I mean, that's what this data says. If you have a player with game-breaking traits, you can take him in the top 10. 
but if you have a player who's a for whatever reason deemed a first round player that doesn't have those dominant traits such that they're taken in the top 10 don't do it just don't do it until outside of the top 40 because there's probably not really a, a major difference in what they're able to do for you over the long term um, like I think people value that instant impact so like ultimately is there a difference between that first round player um, that's not from the top 10 and the second or third round player over the long term not really one of them's probably a little bit more ready to play in the beginning but I think people would just put too much value on that instant impact when, you know, you really should just be looking for those players you can't find anywhere else. Um, once you're into picks 40 through 64, um, then you can start looking for your linebackers, your guards, your running backs. And again, I think ideologically, there will, there will be some teams who would rather have a very good passing game or a very dominant offensive line and just have a couple of, of running backs. So, you know, if that's your thing, then you don't even need to take a running back there. Um, but some teams will value that that big-time running back. So that's up to you, really, depending on what you want to do. And I get either way. I honestly do. Um, but that's really when you should start be looking for that player. Um, at 65 to 100... Um, obviously still looking for wide receivers, linebackers. That's when you start looking for safeties, guards, tight ends, and running backs. So what's different here? Safeties and tight ends. If that many of the high-impact safeties and tight ends are coming in the third round, then why go for them anywhere else? You know, again... If you're looking at the very end of the second round or, or something like that, like it's just a it's a range. But generally speaking, the less you deviate from the plan, the the less value you're going to have lost. You know, and if you're dead set on getting a safety, the chances are you can probably trade down from the late second with somebody. And even if you're not getting like trade chart value in parentheses, you're getting an additional pick, at least one additional pick, and you're probably still going to get the player that you want, or at least the impact at the position that you want. So, you know, I think people might look at this and say, well, this is the perfect way to get average players at every, every position. No, it's not. It's specifically the way to get players who are who qualify for top 10 type contracts at every position. Now, obviously, there are a million factors that go into that. Your ability to scout, players getting hurt, players busting out. Like all this all of those things that's that can't be accounted for here, but you got to account for what you can. You know, like you still have to use the most efficient process that you possibly can. Um, so that that's going to do it for me today. Uh, the only other thing is like, I've also included free agency here. So if you, if you uh, can, if you're really trying to build a team from scrap, from the ground up, um, obviously you can't pick all of these positions early. So get as many as you can in free agency that are free agency type players, like right tackle, safety guard, tight end and center. Um, and then just use 
use the picks you have to get the players that can't be found elsewhere. You know, center probably shouldn't really be taking a center in the top 100 or in free agency, uh, and just go for it in rounds four and beyond and, and free agency. Because you're going to get starters, quality starters, in that range. just have to be able to scout them. So, that's going to do it for me today. I'll try and put this up in the morning. Um, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Um, I, I'm just getting back on the horse, so hopefully this was pretty interesting to people. And uh, let me know what you think. And, again, I'll be doing the 2022 version of this. Um probably early next week and it will be a little shorter because obviously some things haven't changed the number of players taken in the first round or in the top 10 or top 40 stuff like that so I will be able to go a little bit shorter and um, I'll be able to just probably point out more things that have changed and point out things that are the same um and and just see if I want to change the way that I'm talking about this at all because I'm always willing to change my opinion based on what information is presented to me um, but looking at this these few different metrics it's pretty clear to me that um, you got to do your best to to maximize this and the final thing I'll say is just that this ultimately depends on most of the other teams in the NFL operating under the same thing same mentalities that they have been for a while because once they start to change the dynamic will change and i know jordan rodrigue uh, who covers the rams for the athletic uh, she talked about this kind of eloquently that like you're finding inefficiencies in the system and you're you're maximizing your efficiency within that but once the system it starts to change and the, the, that spoken or unspoken agreement about how teams are doing things changes, those inefficiencies change as well. And then you're going to just have to find new inefficiencies to maximize. So that's really what I'm talking about here. This is not the end-all be-all answer to building a team for the next 15 years. But I think it has a lot of answers about how to try and do it now. You know, even there, there will be variability with scheme from position to position. But if you're trying to get the best possible players at every position, there'll be minor fluctuations within this. It's not going to change it wholesale. So, again, uh, like, subscribe. I really appreciate it. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean if you want to follow me or get in contact with me, ask questions. Um, I'd be totally into having those conversations. So, uh, to all of you watching and listening in the morning. Good morning. I am going to sign off and uh, I wish I could say sleep, but go to work. All right. Have a good one, everybody.